It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is World Soccer Talk Radio here on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Thank you so much for making us part of your daily plans live right here on the Byline, 1 to 2 p.m. Pacific time, 4 to 5 over there on the Eastern Seaboard, Monday through Friday. Thanks for subscribing to us in podcast form all over the interwebs. Thanks for subscribing to us on iTunes and leave us a review on iTunes when you get a chance. Tune in, Stitcher and iHeartRadio. Also fantastic ways to listen to us. Special hello to the men and women overseas listening on the American Forces Network. And as always, get on the website and check it out, worldsoccertalk.com. My name is Nate Abarea. Get involved in the Twitter sphere. Get to me at Nate. WST, get a hold of all of us at World Soccer Talk and follow at Sports Byline USA for updates on this program and the rest of the fine shows from Sports Byline. And talk about a fine show today. We've got a former Plymouth, Ipswich, Arsenal, and England center forward. We're going to center a lot on the Ipswich and the England times. It's Paul Mariner, who is currently working with ESPN SC, as well as uh, all you New England Revolution fans might know Paul uh, as the color commentator for New England Revolution matches. And some of you Toronto SC fans out there listening to the show might know Paul as the former TFC manager from just a few years ago. But Paul, a man who Scored a goal in a World Cup. Not too many people in the world that can say that when you think percentage-wise. Paul scored against France in a famous 3-1 victory in the 1982 Spain World Cup for England. England 3, France 1. Crazy day in Bilbao back in 1982. Cannot wait to talk with Paul all about that. As well as one of his managerial mentors, someone who he played under for quite a bit of time at Ipswich Town. A man who was just named Bobby Robson back then, who went on to become the legendary Sir Bobby Robson. We'll talk all about Sir Bobby. We'll talk England. We'll talk Ipswich. We'll talk a little ESPN FC. But before we bring Paul on, we head to the Portuguese island of Madeira. That's right. We talk about a little interesting vandalism story that is making headlines all around the soccer world. It's a bit of a comical one. It's a bit of a wild one. We're back after this on World Soccer Talk Radio. Messi and Ronaldo, it never ends. And Paul Mariner with us a little bit later. Stay tuned. Oh, we gonna rock down to Electric Avenue And then we'll take it higher mm-hmm. 
You're listening to World Soccer Talk Radio with your host, Nada Barea, on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Welcome back in to World Soccer Talk Radio here on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. My name is Nate Abaurea. Stay tuned. Paul Mariner is going to be with us a little bit later in the program as we take a glorious trip back to the 1970s and 80s and even way back to the 60s as well, talking about the heartland of English football up in the northwest of the country, talking 1982 World Cup in Spain where Paul scored a famous goal against France up in Bilbao, up in Basque country in the 1982 World Cup. That France side, by the way, captained that day and that World Cup by a man that you may have heard of recently. He's been in the news quite a bit recently. His name is Michel Platini. That's right. England 3, France 1. Cannot wait to talk with Paul all about that. And we talk about the heartland of English football. Forgot to mention this in the opening I really hope you enjoyed that Newcastle-Manchester United match yesterday. 3-3 at St. James's Park with just a, a stunning ending to that game. And, and Wayne Rooney in, in rare form, seeming like he had a, a shot of youthful exuberance injected before the game, in addition uh, to a, a new hair transplant. But that Newcastle 3-Man United 3 match yesterday was, was quite special because that matchup is, is one that, for a variety of reasons, is, is extremely special to me and really was, was part of, of my earliest upbringing with, with the English game and going back to the 1996 title race, really the, the first season that I consciously remember and everything that went in with, with Liverpool and Newcastle. We remember that famous Liverpool-Newcastle match from April of, of 1996. We've had the great pleasure of actually discussing it with the man who, who called it uh, uh, by the name of Martin Tyler. The, the great Martin Tyler was, of course, alongside Andy Gray uh, for that match. And I love Martin always laughs when he points this out. He calls that match the greatest match that he's ever commentated of the thousands that he's called over the years. And he goes, it's amazing. It was two teams chasing the title, neither of which actually won the title. It was Manchester United who won the title that year. And just the great Newcastle Man United rivalry with, with the famous Kevin Keegan post-match interview of, I just love it. I just love it if they'd beat them. And the early mind games of Sir Alex Ferguson, little did we know those would go on for, for decades uh, to follow. But the Newcastle Manchester United rivalry. I remember the 1999 FA Cup final oh so well when I I was the biggest Newcastle fan in the world, just praying that somebody could stop Manchester United from winning the treble. Sadly, nobody. 19 teams in the Premier League, Newcastle in the FA Cup final, and of course, Bayern Munich in uh, Barcelona in the Champions League final. Nobody could stop destiny, and Manchester United won the treble back in 1999. But that Newcastle-Man United matchup there's something about it. There's something about the way that it looks. There's something about the, the, the barcodes and the red devils. There's something about the black and white stripes and, and the red shirts going toe-to-toe. I mean, I, I love a matchup uniform-wise where neither team ever has to change. It, it's whether it's at St. James's Park or whether it's, it's at Old Trafford. They're wearing the same kits. They're wearing the black and white stripes if you're Newcastle. They're wearing the red if they're Manchester United. And... It was such a fantastic encounter yesterday. Seeing Wayne Rooney get back to, to scoring ways, I, I have no qualms in saying that I jumped off the couch with my, my two expat Manchester United supporting very, very close friends. I jumped off the couch with them. I am a diehard Liverpool fan. I have hated so many things about Wayne Rooney for so many years. I jumped off the seat when he scored that second goal that 
seemed like it was going to give United the 3-2 victory, but little did we know Newcastle still had something in store and were able to nab it at the death. And maybe that'll be the jump start. We saw Aston Villa uh, win as well yesterday. So maybe the, the stunning late 3-3 draw for Newcastle and, and the win for, for the villains against Crystal Palace is the type of things that can jumpstart a season. We all laughed last year at the thought of Leicester City surviving in the Premier League about this time of year in January of, of 2015. And look what they ended up pulling off and look what they're doing now. Who knows? Hey, I'm just going to go out on a limb right here. Maybe Newcastle or, or Aston Villa, they're going to be uh, competing for a Premier League title or for a top four place in, the, uh, in 365 days time. All right, let's not get ahead of ourselves here, but I'm just saying there that the late draw for Newcastle, as well as the win uh, for Aston Villa against Crystal Palace, could be the type of thing that can jumpstart a season. But just to wrap that up real quick, as far as the Newcastle Man U encounter yesterday, it's, it's a matchup that means so much to me as a fan of the game. It's a, ma- it's a matchup that means oh so much to me as someone who was brought up on specifically the English game and brought up on the Premier League and, and the history of, of English football. And yesterday's match, that 3-3 at St. James's Park, was a firm reminder of why that fire still burns and why I, am, I, I, I say that I'm a soccer fan, that I'm a, an English football fan, that I'm a fan of, of the world's game before I am a... Liverpool supporter, before I'm a U.S. national team fan, before I'm a San Jose Earthquakes fan, before I'm anything, I am a fan of the game and a fan very much so of, of the English game. And, and yesterday, again, was a firm reminder of why that holds true to this day. Hey, I got to tell you about fanbet.com, and then uh, we're going to take a trip to a Portuguese island and, and one of the wildest, weirdest vandalism stories that I have heard in quite some time. It's comical. I'm going to damn the person that did the vandalizing, but I'm still going to give the vandalism publicity on this show. So shame me on Twitter, please, at NateWST. You hypocrite, Abarea. But I got to tell you first off about FanBet. If you're looking for an advantage when betting on soccer, I got to let you know about FanBet.com. FanBet allows you and your friends and to follow the top-ranked bettors, getting a wealth of betting tips to help improve your real money bets. FanBet runs a weekly contest called FanPlay. Members place bets on Premier League games using betting credits, and the game data is analyzed, and the top bettors are ranked according to their success. FanBet allows you to see live picks and betting history of these players, and by following winners, logic implies that you will become more successful. Sign up today for your free account, free account at FanBet.com. .com. Improve your soccer betting returns today with FanBet.com. Another huge thank you to FanBet for their support of World Soccer Talk Radio. All right, we head to Funchal, Portugal, on the island of Madeira. Reports in the Portuguese and Spanish media said yesterday that the statue of Cristiano Ronaldo in his hometown of Funchal, Portugal, on the island of Madeira, was vandalized the day after Lionel Messi won the Ballon d'Or in Switzerland to end Ronaldo's two-year hold as far as the, what do we call him, the, the, the king of football. Is that really what the Ballon d'Or is? The, the king of football. Ronaldo's two-year reign as the, the king of, of world football as far as individual accomplishments go. Now, the report said that the statue was cleaned by the end of the day and added that officials were still searching for the vandals 
You want to know what they did to the statue, the big statue of Ronaldo standing with his arms out in that big muscular pose that he likes to do when he celebrates goals or when he's standing ready to take a free kick? They went to the back of it, and in red paint on the Ronaldo statue, somebody painted Messi 10 on the back of the Ronaldo statue. I mean, I got to go back to, to something we talked about on the show the other day. Step away from the debate, guys and gals, kids, adults, everybody. Stop trying to argue who's better, Messi or Ronaldo. Just appreciate that you're alive in a time where you get to watch both of these guys play week in, week out. Just be appreciative. Quit trying to argue and decide who's better, Ronaldo or Messi. Just be grateful that you get to watch both of them play at the same time. Now, Ronaldo's sister, uh, Ketia Avero, had a very interesting tweet uh, that came out in Portuguese yesterday. And this is what it says. I am angry, sad, disappointed, and speechless at this so disrespectful and lack of maturity. It is disrespectful for the tourists. We all know how proud I am of this person. I could spend hours talking about Ronaldo's acts of goodness and qualities. As someone who is Portuguese, I am left sad and ashamed. Thanks to him, Ronaldo, there has been tourism, jobs created, and investment on our lovely island, which unfortunately is inhabited by some frustrated savages who deserve to live in Syria. People who have no respect and do not know how to live in society. I want to repeat that last line. Thanks to Ronaldo, there has been tourism, jobs created, and investment on our lovely island, which unfortunately is inhabited by some frustrated savages who deserve to live in Syria. There you go, Ronaldo's sister. Class act. All right, enough with the vandalism story. We're back after this with Paul Mariner right here on World Soccer Talk Radio. Welcome back in to World Soccer Talk Radio here on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Our guest in this edition of the show, a former Plymouth, Ipswich, Arsenal, and England center forward. You folks here in North America might know him as the former manager of Toronto FC in Major League Soccer, Mr. Paul Mariner. Paul, thank you so much for joining us, sir. My pleasure. Anytime. Pleasure to talk to you, Nate. So, how are things for you currently working with ESPN FC? Tell us uh, your experiences thus far with the worldwide leader in sports. Uh, it's, it's wonderful. Um, look, I, I, we have a, a wonderful camaraderie on the show. Um, you know, obviously, Craig Burl is there. Who's, uh, it doesn't take much to get Craig fired up, and I know he's been on, on your show. Uh, Shaka Hislop, you know, Alejandro Moreno, Stevie Nicol, you know, and then we have, have guests in periodically, but uh, I'm in the rotation. I'm what's known as a part-timer. The other boys are full-time, but um, I hope it comes over well. We do, we don't, don't agree all the time with each other. We have a lot of fun with Dan Thomas. He tends to get a little bit of stick. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's a fun show to do. I, re- I really enjoy it. What is your favorite uh, angry Craig Burley story thus far in your time at ESPN FC? <laughs> hey, it, uh, well, it's, I mean, obviously he, he bashes at his boiling points, and um, I'm, I'm usually on the show with him on Monday, so uh, I get privy to to what is <laughs> what's making him angry. 
I mean, I suppose it's, it's Manchester United at present. He, that seems to be uh, top of his list. Also, Mr. Blatter seems to come in for a little bit of flight now and again. So, no, it's always always highly entertaining, uh, the boiling point with Craig. Now, Paul, you had a, a storied playing career. You were in coaching for such a long time. And, and I want to talk with you now about the transition from, from coaching yeah. to being an analyst on television. I also understand that uh, you, you actually had some radio work uh, that you did uh, in, in the U.K. a number of years ago and, and yeah. now doing the television work. Talk about the, the transition into the media world from the, the playing and coaching careers. Um. Well, I'm, I'm lucky enough to do the, the, the colour commentary for New England Revolution um, in, in MLS with, with Brad Feldman. That's always fun. I think what you've, what you've got to do as an ex-player, stroke uh, coach, stroke manager, is you want to give an insight into what's going on in the field, what, what you think may be coming up, what's going through the players' minds, what's going through the coaches' minds at various stages of the game. So... You try and add a, a little bit of insider knowledge, so to, so to speak, you know, reading, you know, the tactical side of the game. So I, I really enjoy that. I, I used to work, as you quite rightly say, when I was over in England, around about 96, I think it was, 93 to 96, I worked for BBC Radio Lancashire. Um, that was actually when uh, Blackburn Rovers was managed by Kenny Dalglish and uh, they, they were Premier League champions. Um, Alan Shearer was banging the goals and Chrissy Sutton was partnering him. So that was a, that was a, a, a you know, fantastic year, a little bit different from the uh, you know Liverpool, Manchester United, Arsenal, Chelsea stranglehold on, on the, uh, the Premier League. But that was when things were slightly different and exactly the same. Uh, really enjoyed it, met some wonderful people. Um, it's, it's just it's a fun way of earning a living. I'm very, very fortunate. I, I count my blessings every day. Absolutely. And uh, by the way, shout out to that Blackburn team, one of my favorite teams in uh, Premier League history for a long time. It was the only other team besides Arsenal, Man United yep. and Chelsea to win the Premier League title. Now you got to throw uh, Manchester City in the mix with my God, Sharon Sutton up top for Blackburn back in the day. That was quite the side. Now I got to go way back here. I got to go back to the, the 1960s in the, the northwest of England because you you grew up in the heartland of, of English football up in the Northwest. And you grew up at a very, very interesting time when, when not only the Northwest of England was, was becoming something so special, but English soccer was becoming something so special, obviously uh, pointing out the 1966 World Cup. But, but even yes. before that, talk about growing up up in the Northwest and, and the footballing minds and, and hearts that, that you were around and, and what that did for you to lay such a, a strong footballing foundation? Well, it was, it was spectacular, to, to, to say, say the least. I mean, I was, a, a, I was brought up, I was born in Bolton, a little, little town called Farmworth, just outside Bolton. Uh, so Bolton Wanderers was my, my team and, and, and still is my team. Um, when when you're a northerner, you grow up. A, it's it's hard sometimes for people to realise how many professional teams there are and semi-professional teams there are in in that 25 mile radius. It's quite remarkable. And as you say, you know, all the big teams, Liverpool, Everton, City, United, you know, all the big big boys of world football. Uh, I had no interest in in watching them. I was I was totally blinkered. Uh, my father. And grandfather and uncles were born Wanderers fans at the absolutely sensational Burnham Park, where they used to go on the embankment end. And 
I had a huge love affair with steam trains, so I used to watch the football, and at the back of the uh, of the, the terrace and the embankment, the steam trains used to go by, and they used to go very, very slowly. When they were going by very slowly, the steam would go all, all over the uh, the fans, and we couldn't see the game for a few minutes, so we all give the, the train driver lots of flight to get, get his backside moving so we could see the game again. Uh, so it was a wonderful period in, in my life. Um, I remember... I remember going watching Jimmy Greaves at Burnham when Tottenham came up and when um, when they were in that, you know, that fantastic team where they were winning their championships at 61, 62, 63 era. And Jimmy Greaves came out and I, I can see it so vividly. Um, and if people don't really know who Jimmy Greaves is, just have a look. This guy could score goals for fun. If he was playing today, he, he would be on... on incredible levels uh, he came out in white shorts white socks and this incredible blue uh, shirt and it was a muddy day the fields as everybody knows in the old days wasn't particularly good but Jimmy banged a couple of goals in that day and you could have put his kit back into the back into the skip because he didn't get a blemish on him his balance was unbelievable it was a joy to see him and uh, that was a, a treat that my father took me to, to the games because we didn't we didn't have too much money in those days to throw around but uh, but yeah it was fantastic and, and you know as as I went to school and got interested in football playing football constantly you know all the usual stuff playing in the in the in the street with all my mates um I, I, I sort of decided that I, I wanted to become a pro. I didn't know how possible it was going to be. But, um, you know, at 14, Bolton came in for me, but my uh, my uh, athletics uh, teacher said you can get a better team than that, and I, I trusted him, and I was five foot three, and at 16, I was still five foot three. I was a very, very, very late developer. Uh, but I just kept, kept plugging away, kept at it, and um, kept, you know, watching... You know, listening to the sport on the radio and so on and so forth. I, I was absolutely fascinated. As you say, in '66, uh, I was 13 years of age then when England won the World Cup, and you know, the World Cup came to England. It was just uh, just a magical, magical time. Were you able to attend any matches uh, in in '66 as a kid, Paul? No, no. We, we got obviously black and white telly in the old days, so we. You know, I, I was absolutely my eyes were bulging when I saw uh, Pele on the come out on the on the field. It was ju- just great to see these the football. I and mean, nowadays, with the with the advent of, of television, satellite, and so on, we, we we get so many games and we we're actually spoiled. And in the old days, when you saw the likes of Pele coming, well, because we never saw him play, and you say Bo and and obviously the England boys, of course, but. You know, when you see these these world superstars, even in those days, everybody was in awe when you spoke about Pelé. And uh, just to see him in actual fight, it was pretty sad because he, he got more or less kicked out of that tournament with uh, the, the referee wasn't as strict in those days as it, as it is today. But he was some player, he was absolutely phenomenal player. But no, it was great to see the tournament and obviously delighted to see England win it. Paul, I, I got to ask you real quick. We we have two minutes here before we got to head to break, so we got to keep this relatively brief. But but you paint yep. such a beautiful picture of of your life in in the rural northwest of yep. England, growing up, and and the stories of the the steam trains going by the the Bolton ground and everything that yep. is true northern grit, and and it's yep. so far from. 
from London life and what a lot of people think of, you know, in, in the south of England. What was that like for you in your upbringing, seeing all of England, seeing these different cultures within the country come together to support the national team? Well, uh, it is, it's obviously very special. Look, we're in a, we're on a very, very small island, Great Britain, um, and the rivalry between England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, and, and to a certain degree the Republic. Uh, we used to have a tournament called the Home Championships, and that was after a very, very arduous season during the, well, it was called Division One then, now it's turned into the Premier League. Um, they were really hard games, hard-fought games, but... Um, the, the, the nation, you know, the, the English nation. Whenever the, the people pull on the three lines, the shirts the three lines. They're, 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 you know, forget about the, the, the home team, and they're absolutely 100% behind England. And it was phenomenal. The, the, the support uh, and the crowds that uh, would go um, was, was phenomenal. And that's the way it was in the old days. It's a little bit. Different nowadays when you go to corporate Premier League football matches, uh, it is a totally different vibe. But uh, I wouldn't really change my my upbringing. My upbringing was, uh, you know, sort of made me what I what I have been and what I still am. So um, I'm del- I'm delighted to be English. But from a little sidebar, I know you have pushed it for time a little bit. And I found out recently when I went back to visit my mother just before Christmas that I'm actually, I've got a lot of Scottish blood in me because my grandfather's called Turnbull, that's a very Scottish name. And uh, my mother said to me, she said, well, I kept it quiet from you for quite some time because I know how passionate you are about England. And I thought, you know what, Mum, it's really strange. I have a lot of uh, Scottish friends. <laughs> so that's sort of... And, you, and you've you know, made, Paul, I, I think it's safe to say you've made a few uh, over, over at ESPN FC over there. They definitely, uh, they love the Scots at ESPN FC. We're back after this do. right here. Nate Abarea and Paul Mariner, World Soccer Talk Radio. Talking English national team in the 1982 World Cup after this. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the radio show, World Soccer Talk Radio, here on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Nate Abarea is my name, Paul Mariner is with us, and it's time now to take a glorious trip back to España 1982, a World Cup that saw England defeat France 3-1, a lineup for England that day that included three players from Ipswich Town. One of those was Paul Mariner, and Paul, you scored a goal, I know you remember it quite well, against that (laughs) French team that included Captain Michel Platini. Talk about the first things that come to mind when, when you think back to that day in the summer of 1982, Paul. Um, well, we knew Ron Greenwood was the, was the gaffer, and we, we knew uh, deep down that this was the most important game. If we could, if we could beat France, we would probably advance, um, and it sort of proved that way. The, I remember the day extremely well. Um, it was absolutely roasting hot. I don't know if you remember the old stadium in Bilbao, but it was it just like a like a you know like a, a bullfighting ring. It was very very uh, uh, steep, and it was there was absolutely no wind on on the field. It was scorching hot, and and we came out. And as you do, you you always have a look at the opposition, and you see all the, the terrific players that they had in their lineup. Uh, but we had a we had a really, a really good group of lads. You know, the whole squad was a was a, was a fantastic group, and the camaraderie was was special. Um, and of course, we kicked off, 
and um, uh, you know everybody talks about the magic of, of scouting and tactics and uh, scouting the team. Well, obviously France didn't scout us out too well because we scored after 20 seconds. Uh, it was just a routine. Uh, we, we've been doing it for a long, long time. Terry Butcher and myself went to the near post. The long throw came in from Stevie Coppel. Uh, we saw the rough a couple of uh, French boys up on the near post. Terry gets a flick. Brian Robson, absolute legend of West Bromwich Albion and, and Manchester United, came in with his left peg. Nobody picking him up, smash it in the back of the net. And we could we could hardly breathe after that. We was, we were, we, I think we were taken aback as much as anybody, but it was the most perfect start. Um, then it was even Stephen. Um, and then and they came into it. They scored just before half time. Uh, but th- just to give you a measure of the heat, and, and obviously, you know, the, the the shirts that we were wearing were not the best materials. Uh, I'm sure Admiral won't be too disappointed. It's so many years ago now that I can say this. But the, it was 100% polyester, so our, our skins couldn't breathe. So we went into the dressing room at half time. And then talk about modern-day World Cup football. The, the gaffer told the physios to put uh, towels into ice uh, buckets of water, and we just took our shirts off, put the towels uh, around us to try and get our body temperature down because it was it was ridiculously hot. Um, and anyway, you know, we came out second half. Uh, Robo scored another one header, and uh, I, I was lucky enough to, to smash one in as well. So that was a very very good performance. Uh, 3-1 against France um, you know, any day of the week is, you'll take it and we uh, we played well put a lot of hard work in um, so as we go into the dressing room afterwards we're all elated and so the um, the officials from FIFA came in and Brian Robson and myself got we got tugged for the uh, drug test so all, all you had to do was you know do your business in a little bottle and uh, but uh, because we were so drained I, I lost I lost 11 pounds uh, that day in that that game. Rob, uh, Rob must have, well, he did so much legwork in the centre of midfield. He must have lost the, uh, the same. It took us three hours to to actually produce enough fluids to to you know to take the test. So it was such a memorable day. Uh, we eventually got back to the the hotel with the lads, and the lads were obviously having a couple of beers, and Rob and I were caught up with them pretty quickly. So it was a very, very special day. I remember it very, very well. Now, Paul, I want to go back to, to the fact that there were three Ipswich players uh, in, in the England lineup that day, and it was yeah. such a successful time uh, for Ipswich as a club, UEFA Cup winners in, in 1981, going back to the FA Cup in, in 78. Talk about the, the camaraderie between you three that were on the pitch and and the manager back at, at the club that time was just a, a guy named Bobby Robson. Did you have any <laughs> idea that that man would go on to be Sir Bobby Robson, England, Barcelona, and, and, and all the rest? Um, well, no, I mean, I, I don't think anybody would have thought that. But you can only talk about your, your own personal experiences, A, with Mick Mills, who was the captain of, of England for, for, for the tournament, because... Uh, Kevin Keegan was, who was a European Football of the Year, was was injured unfortunately. So Millsy was the skipper, and as you say, big Terry Butcher at the back with 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 Tom or Phil Thompson from Liverpool. Uh, just just great great people. Not only fantastic uh, competitors and you know just excellent footballers could read the game very well. De- tremendous defenders, both of them. 
Um, they were just great blokes off the field, which um, which I think says says so much for for the camaraderie. You know, you talk about well, what makes a, what makes a team tick. Yes, you've got a tremendous athletic ability, you know, torch technique, so on and so forth. But it's that drive to want to be the best all the time. It's that. It's that togetherness and the camaraderie off the field really does pull you through in, in, when it's getting difficult out there. Um, that's what pulls you through because you don't want to let each other down. Um, the little story about Bobby, when, when, when Bobby signed me, uh, I was playing at Plymouth Argyle and uh, West Bromwich Albion wanted me and West Ham United uh, wanted me. Ironically, Ron Greenwood was a gaffer at, uh, at West Ham, who I have so much admiration for. Him. And you know, eventually, I played for him quite a lot with England. And the coach, the manager at, um, at West Bromwich Albion was Johnny Giles, a fantastic footballer with Leeds United and, and the Republic of Ireland. He's an incredible player. Um, and then, so Bob, so what I did, I looked, I looked at the squads. I, I saw that. Ipswich reserves were top of the league. Ipswich youth team was top of the league, and uh, I think. I think the Ipswich, the club, I think they were around about second or third at the time. So anyway, I, I pumped for I pumped for um, for Sir Bob and Ipswich, and uh, it was probably the best eight years of football that I've that I played. Uh, but he's not only was a tremendous coach, but his man management off the field, he, he, he included players, and in. whether he whether he listened to you or whether he took what you said into consideration, he did a, a damn good job of. of Making us believe that we were were part of it because um, you know he'd ask us about about the opposition, he'd ask us about what we thought about players, um, and he was uh, you know a, a caring manager. You know exactly where you stood with him. Um, fortunately, I was playing most of the time, so he didn't have to pull me in and say I wasn't playing too much. But he always kept the senior players involved in, in what his thought process was, and I think that what. You know, Sir Alex did that at United. Uh, it ruled with a bit of an iron fist, both of them, but they had that wonderful soft side. They, they knew they took interest in your family and so on and so forth. It was very, very important. Did you think back uh, a lot to Sir Bobby Robson in your yeah. time as, as a manager, Paul? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think in, in the modern era, and, and certainly, certainly in, in my time, you, you, you wanted to know why you were not playing and and as i said i was i was fairly fortunate that i i was more or less included but what good coaches do they always tell you why you're not in, in involved and and that's what i i took when i started to go into coaching with Stephen nickel at new england revolution and we had some fantastic times together Stevie and i um, and then when I sort of moved over to Plymouth Argyle myself and, and working with Paul Sturrock and Peter Reid, and I, you, you, you obviously take bits from different managers that you, that you work with. And, and I always thought that it was so important that if you, you've got to tell players where they stand in your thinking. It, it, when, you're, when you're working on the training ground or whether you're about to you know, select the side, you must keep players informed. And it's a quality that I'm finding that not too many people uh, relish. You know, the coaches nowadays, there's not many of them bring the players in. Not, well, that's what I'm hearing from, from the, the players uh, around various leagues in the, in the world. So I think that's a tremendous skill that he had. 
And I, I don't know how much time we've got, but a brief story about the way that Bobby Robson would handle his players. He knew that I was from the northwest. He knew that my mother and father always used to go come to the games at Old Trafford, Anfield, Goodison, the main road as it was in the old days, um, you know, Manchester City. And he'd always say to me, are your parents coming to the... He says, your mum and dad coming to the game, Nipper. His nickname for me was Nipper. I said, yeah, yeah. And he'd always give, give my mother and father two box tickets sat right at the front of the director's box. Now, the director's box in the old days was... You, you, if you're a lord and a lady or you, you were a multimillionaire, that's the only reason you got into the director's box. But just imagine, you're centre I'm centre forward for Ipswich Town, running out, I turn round, I look at the director's box, I'm at Old Trafford or I'm at Anfield or I'm at Goodison or wherever, wherever we're playing. And there's your mother and father sat in, 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 front, in the front seats of the director's box. Now, that is motivation because he knew exactly how I was going to play that day. I was going to be ripping every sinew out of myself, trying to score, trying to get some, uh, you know, build-up play, whatever. That's the type of bloke he was. And it, he just got... He got stuff out of you that not many other coaches, I don't think, could have got out of you. How do you think that translated for him to jobs like Barcelona and, and the English national team, that type of, of in-depth man managing and, and taking that to, to a, a huge, huge spotlight like, like the jobs that I mentioned there? Yeah. No, it, it's, it, it never left him. Uh, what, what, he, what he did, uh, Sir, Sir Bob... He included his coaching staff. He included. He, he was. He, he wasn't one that was always going to be. Uh, you know, it's, it's all about me, me, me. He, he included people. When you looked at Mourinho, when Mourinho was working with him, they, they were, he was. You know, they listened to what Mourinho says. Is an includer. Bobby Robson, I keep talking about him in the present, but, he's, I know, but he, uh, he, he did make an incredible impression on, on so many people. There's a, there's a very interesting podcast that Terry Butcher did recently to, talking about, you know, some of his, Bob's idiosyncrasies. I mean, I remember at Ipswich Town, his team talks will go on forever. And eventually we... We would take bets on how long the, the we would. I mean, it's, it's 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 laughable, and probably the, the public would probably wouldn't believe me. But we 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 used to take bets on how long his team talked because we used to we used to call him Mogadon sometimes because he's like taking a sleeping pill. He's put you to sleep some of his team talks, but um, he used to put fantastic teams together, um, and his teams used to go out and play fantastic football. Just, just, just another little sidebar also. The, the, the measure of the t quality of player that he had at Ipswich Town in 78 when we played Arsenal at Wembley for the um, FA Cup. On the Thursday, it was absolutely hosing it down. At the, uh, we trained at a high school field. It was like clumps of mud and grass all over the place. It was a, a terrible. Uh, just put, a, put a, everything out of your mind about these bowling green services that, that they have nowadays in the Prem. He came up to his, he pulled us in, it was absolutely, as I say, raining so hard. He said, lads, we're going to change the system, we're going to play 4-3-3. We're going to play two white guys to stop Sammy Nelson and um, Pat, Pat Rice and Mariner. You're going to play through the middle with, against Willie Young and David O'Leary. So we said, OK. So we actually worked on the system for about 10 minutes, and that was it. And we put it into practice two days later to perfection. He said, what we're going to do, we're going to sacrifice Roger Osborne. Roger Osborne's going to knock Liam Brady out of the game, and we're going to play 10v10. Talbot and Walt, you can run Alan Hudson and David Price all day long. That's where we're going to win the game. 
and we we absolutely murdered them that day. But thinking about doing that nowadays in world football, people would laugh at you. But that actually happened. And you know, T- Terry goes into it a little bit deeper on the, on the pod- podcast. But some of the things that that uh, you know, the laughs and jokes that we had was was memorable stuff. Memorable stuff. It's such a beautiful, beautiful story, Paul, and and Sir Bobby Robson's legacy absolutely continues to live on. Hey, we, we've actually got now under a minute left, but I have to squeeze this in here with you before we got to let you go. One of my all-time favorite movies, uh, the, the 1981 soccer prisoner of war film, Escape to Victory, Victoire, Victoire, with Sylvester Stallone and Pele. I love that you brought up Pele earlier. Here's the tie-in between Pele and Ipswich. I did yep. not know this until recently. A number of your Ipswich teammates actually yep. stood in as stunt doubles in Escape to Victory. Was that a uh, a common uh, topic of banter back on the training ground? Oh, uh, very much so. I, I was, uh, I mean, I, uh, Mick Mills and myself, I'm not sure who else, but uh, Mick Mills and myself w- were not involved in that because we were with the national team. But uh, Paul Cooper, the goalkeeper, he was a stunt double for Stallone, the goalkeeper. Um... Johnny Walt was in the film, a little fella called Laurie Silver, uh, Russell Osman was in the film. Yeah, a lot of the boys were in it. Um, It was a great experience for them. I mean, obviously, to be around Pelé and say what what an incredible, humble uh, character he was. Uh, Stallone was exactly the same. I mean, he didn't, obviously, didn't know much about about the football side, but, you know, he, he, he took it on board and. Uh, but the, there's a wonderful scene in the movie where um, Pelé scores a, a bicycle kick. I don't know if uh, oh, yeah. maybe people can uh, recollect it, but uh, as, as they're going to, to, to production, as they're going to film it, they're assuming that it's going, this is going to take all day. And obviously they, they didn't realize who they were dealing with in Pelé, and it took one take. <laughs> that was a one-take shot. The uh, one, when, the when one take the bicycle kick. It is absolutely beautiful. Get out, everybody, and find a way to watch Escape to Victory and catch all those Ipswich Town boys in the movie as well. Paul Mariner, this has been great having you on. Look forward to doing it again sometime, man. Thank you, Nate. Anytime. Bye-bye. Again, that was Paul Mariner. We're back after this on World Soccer Talk Radio. Stay tuned. So I know I've got a game to coach today. My my Shasta boys are taking on Red Bluff at home in a in a pouring rainstorm. I know I've got a, a big Liverpool Arsenal match to to watch and write about and 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 be involved with. But all I want to do right now, after that closing to the uh, segment there with Paul Mariner, I want to just go watch Escape to Victory again. Victoire, Victoire. Who needs Brad Guzan? Who needs Tim Howard? Sylvester Stallone, greatest American goalie. Get him in, Jurgen. We're back with you tomorrow. World Soccer Talk Radio. Bye for now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 